You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everybody. As Tim has just said, I have uh, free reign this morning, which is always good fun, just to think what, uh, what is it that uh, God has put on our menu for today. First of all, I just want to say how well um, the, the scent conference went, which was for 18 to 30s. It was a fantastic event, and uh, we're on a journey. This isn't an attendance church. This isn't a maintenance church. This is a, an army on a mission, yeah. you know, and uh, it's, it's so encouraging just to see the emerging generation embracing our sort of Christ-centric mission. This isn't about us. We're not a narcissistic generation. We're a generation who are saying, you own us, Jesus, and we go where you take us. And uh, it's so thrilling just to see that being worked out and just how uh, this church family served that generation so well. Just want to commend all those that were involved in the, in the practicalities, in the worship. Tom, who was uh, heading the whole thing up. It was an excellent time. And so uh, I just really want to encourage those of us who are maybe not quite in the 18 to 30s generation that it's looking good. All right, okay? It's looking good. So that's great. So at the start of the year, Tom set us a challenge for our next big prayer adventure together. I don't know if uh, any of you can remember that. He was preaching from uh, Ephesians 3. And uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout the generations, forever and ever. Amen. And uh, Tom did a a superb job, really, just uh, helping lift our eyes, looking to the horizons that God, who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Just what horizons is he setting for us? The unstoppable God. He spoke about our destiny as a church. We're just one of many churches in this town. We're just one of a myriad churches in the nations. Uh, But God has specific purposes and plans for us and promises. And he's made those promises to us. And we're trusting God to see those things worked out. What is the next big adventure for us? We, uh, uh, Tom, brilliantly recapped the story of, of the prayer adventure we've been on in terms of securing larger premises for us as a church. Not that buildings are particularly significant or important, but it's a tool for the mission. It's a, it's a home for the family. It's a base from which we can send each other out. It's a place of refuge for the poor and broken that we're looking to gather in. It's a tool for the mission. And we're just saying, you know, God, we need something more fit for our purpose. And so he's blessed us with that. And uh, we are working towards that. Matt, who's a great leader, is doing a fantastic <laughs> job as the project manager for that. And uh, also a great job as the butt of all of our jokes. But that's another story <laughs> altogether. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to just build on this because Tom spoke into... Please go back and listen to the message if you weren't here or if you need reminding. Also, quite recently, Tom spoke about giving, which... Uh, uh, in the sort of the, the voting system of how well Tom is preaching. We probably put that one even higher than this one in January. And a uh, very, very inspiring, helpful message. But he spoke about our next prayer adventure and uh, gathering together. You know, this isn't any man's church. This is God's church. You know, and it's not our job to sort of uh, come up with good ideas for what's going to happen. It's our job as leaders to be discerning what the Spirit of God is saying. And he'll be speaking through many, many voices 
um, many of us here. And when, when it then is the job of the elders, and on this occasion, Tom, to present that to us, to say, this is what we think the Spirit of God is saying to us, it will seem right with us and the Holy Spirit. That's the way we say, well, yes, that resonates with me. That's what God is saying to us at this time. And Tom was sort of gathering together all the things that as elders and as church members we have been hearing God saying to us. And he said, I, I think that God is saying through all of these different ways that this is a season of multiplication for us. And uh, he uh, very helpfully unpacked that. So I want to build on that today. I thought it would be helpful to look at some principles of multiplication in the Bible. And where better to look than the great feeding miracles that we read about in Scripture, not because I, I, I'm particularly a fan of food, which I am, as the evidence uh, bears testimony, but um, there, there are two separate feeding miracles of Jesus in the Gospels. There's the first miracle where he feeds 5,000, and most commentators would say that was uh, just the men that they were counting. In addition to that, there were women and children as well. Um, it's the only miracle, the, the first feeding miracle for the 5,000 is the only miracle apart from the resurrection, that is uh, represented in each of the four Gospels. There's a little bit of trivial pursuit for you. And that you'll see that in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, John 6. And this miracle involves five loaves and two fish. It fed, as we say, 5,000 men plus women and children. And afterwards, they collected up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. One basket per disciple, just so that they got the point. All right? Okay? <laughs> Look at this. Isn't that amazing? Oh, you've got a basket as well. That's incredible. So then we have the second miracle where Jesus feeds 4,000, which we see in Mark 8 and Matthew 15. Luke and John don't mention this one. This miracle involves seven loaves and fishes. It fed 4,000 men, plus many would say women and children. And afterwards, they collected up seven basketfuls of leftovers. So it's great to have a report of these miracles. It's great to say, well, isn't that incredible, you know, what, what Jesus was able to do with very, very limited resources. You know, the outcome was not pro proportional to the, the input. Uh, you know, it's astonishing, isn't it? Great. But what does this teach us? So the first of these miracles is one of only seven that John references. And uh, John's gospel is often described as the book of signs. And so he's chosen seven signs uh, that he lists in his gospel where he is trying to help us embrace and understand what on earth is going on. As um, one commentator says, the whole point of these signs is that they are moments when heaven and earth intersect with each other. The point is not that they are stories which couldn't have happened in real life, so it's not just, well, that's amazing. It couldn't have happened in reality, but it, it, it happened. That's a miracle. That's not the point. The point is that they direct our attention away from earth to a heavenly reality. Okay? They're a sign to us. There's something more going on here than just feeding a lot of people. There's a sign. Okay? So how do we understand this sign? And to help us understand that, I'm going to read a great story. A narrative, it's a true narrative that we find in Mark chapter 8. And it is an illustration of why I love to read the Bible. 
It's an illustration of the humanity of Jesus as well as his divinity. And it's very much an illustration of the humanity of the disciples, as we're going to see. It's a great, great... I love the detail that they put into these stories that you can miss sometimes if you run past. But anyway, let's just uh, turn to uh, Mark in chapter 8. Bear in mind that Jesus has just fed 4,000 people, or more than that. He's just done that, okay? He's just given a sign. (laughs) Something amazing has happened that is almost like impossible to get your head around. And then in verse 11, it says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign (laughs) from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Oh, goodness sake. What what have I got to do? You know? Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He's speaking about these Pharisees. This is not for you. Right? And he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now, (laughs) the disciples have forgotten to bring bread. You know, you only have one job to do. You had seven basketfuls left over from the last miracle, but you didn't think to bring your lunch with you, so they only have one loaf with them in the boat. This isn't the only time that we see lunch deficiency from the disciples. Okay, the other classic example is the, uh, the, when uh, Jesus met the woman at the well. I don't know if you've ever read that story. So the Samaritan woman at the well. In that story, it says that all the disciples had gone to town to get food. <laughs> How many men does it take to get sandwiches for a dozen people? You can just imagine Jesus saying, oh, f- all, all of you go. <laughs> go on, all of you. No, go on, all of you go. I need a bit of a rest here. <laughs> Oh, dear. And so they're sitting there saying, what, wasn't it your job to bring the bread? No, it was your job. But we left those seven basketfuls over there. We could have brought some. We've only got one loaf. How are we going to feed ourselves with one loaf? And Jesus said, look, hey, I mean, his mind is clearly somewhere else. Watch out. Beware of the leaven, or we might say yeast, of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples sort of said, yeah, yeah, all right, Jesus. And they began discussing with each other the fact that they had no bread. (laughs) Uh, Don't you love it? Now beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. All right, Jesus. (laughs) What are we going to do about our lunch, lads? Their disciples, uh, clearly their mind was on something else other than... So Jesus was aware of this. He says, why are you (laughs) discussing the fact that you have no bread? (laughs) Do you not yet perceive or understand, or are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, don't you see? Having ears, don't you hear? Don't you remember what I just did when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Right, is this a trick question? What should we say, lads? Uh, um, Was it 12? 10, 11, 12, 12, 12. 12, Jesus. Right, it's 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Oh, I can't think about this. It was just five minutes ago. What was it there? Hang on. I think it was seven. Seven. He said to them, do you not yet understand? (laughs) 
I love this. This is a top-class telling off from Jesus, isn't it? It is, isn't it? You know, we all think, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to be with Jesus? I don't think it was very comfortable a lot of the time being with Jesus because we're pretty dull a lot of the time. And the disciples were super dull. And I don't think it was always very comfortable to hang out with Jesus, particularly when the God of heaven is having a rant, you know? Get your popcorn. <laughs> Listen to this. Why, as it says in the message, why are you fussing about the forgotten bread? Don't you see the point of all this? Don't you get it all? He's saying to them. All right? The feeding miracle is a sign about faith and about the pitfalls of cynicism and self-effort. And Jesus gets upset because they don't get it. All they're worried about is where they're going to get their next sandwich. You know? In Mark 8, in this story, in this narrative, they only had one loaf of bread, yet they did not trust Jesus to provide for them. Okay? Christ here, Jesus is trying to teach them to rely on God. That even though they saw him feed 5,000 people and 4,000 people from one small basket of food, they could not believe he could feed 12 people from one loaf. Yeah? How quickly they forget. We're just the same. Let's not pretend we would have done any better. You know, how quickly we forget. And Jesus goes on and says, watch out for the influence of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the prominent religious leaders of the day who relied on religious institutionalism and legalism in order to gain their influence and to gain an outcome. He says, watch out for the influence of the Herodians. They were the ruling political party of the day who relied on political process and involvement to gain their influence and to gain an outcome. He says, watch out for these things. At times it's important for us to engage religious and political powers and processes. But first and foremost, Jesus wants his disciples to learn to live by the obedience of faith. Don't rely on... Don't, don't lapse into cynicism like the Pharisees. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Don't lapse into self-effort like the Herodians. We can do this. We can do it ourselves. Don't worry. Say, no, I've just shown you by feeding a whole town of people with a basket of food what it means to rely on God in the obedience of faith. Paul says, I have come that I might bring the Gentiles to the obedience of faith. Okay. So these miracles are about faith. It's about committing what we have and trusting God for an outcome. These miracles and this particular Jesus' interpretation is about not relying on our own efforts and of not becoming cynical about what God is able to do. And that, in a nutshell, is what uh, Jesus is trying to... And that's why he's so frustrated with these guys. He's saying, look, how many times do I have to take you through this? And you're still worrying about the fact that, you know, one loaf won't go around 12 people. Do you see that? So here are the principles of multiplication that are important for us. So number one, learning to live in the obedience of faith. In Hebrews 11, verses 1 and verses 6, it says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. (laughs) Impossible. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So it's vital for us to recognize that key 
to our future progress. Key to all the things, the glorious promises and vision that Tom has been reminding us about. Key to all the things that God has spoken to us about. I'm speaking about us corporately here as a church family, but this equally applies to you individually. Key is not goal setting and planning. It's not working harder. It's not having a new logo and publicity and website, as helpful as all these things are. These are not the key. Okay? Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, he identifies the key to progress to be faith. He says, our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in the lands beyond you. So critical to multiplication, the first principle of multiplication, the first principle of expansion, the first principle of increase for you and for us is that we will grow as men and women of faith. Understanding what it means to rely on God, trust in him, not trusting in our own efforts, not trusting in our own energies, but saying, God, it's what you can do. I've seen you do it. I saw you do it. You fed 5,000. You fed 4,000. You can feed my family. You know, you can do it. I've got faith for this. Okay? So our job as leaders here among you, those that you might recognize as those uh, who have some spiritual authority in the family of this church. It's not our job to lay out impressive plans or busy programs. Our job is to stir your faith. That's what we're here to do. Stir your faith. Faith for your own life, that you'd have bread for your own life. Faith for what God is doing among us as a church family. It's absolutely contingent and key to anything that God is going to continue to do among us here. Let's not rely on what we think we can do. Let's not rely on how well we think we're doing. You know? We just look to Jesus and say, well, Jesus, with you, you, we can go anywhere. You take us, Jesus. We're following you. You're not comparing ourselves with others. Well, we're doing a bit better than them. Well, I wish we were doing as well as they were. That's not the, that's not the game. You know? It's not, look how impressive uh, the elders' vision statement is. For, well, it's helpful. Actually, are we, are you growing as a man or woman trusting in God? You know, a good friend of mine, Grant Lee, he says, you can summarize the whole of Christian faith in that one statement. Do you trust God? That's so helpful. Do I trust God? Do I trust God for salvation through Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. Do I trust God that now I can be called a child of God? Yes, I do. Do I trust God that he's got great and glorious purposes for his church? Yes, I do. Do I trust God that he only has plans to harm, to, to prosper me, not to harm me? Yes, I do. I trust him. That's the essence of faith. I trust him that he will do these things. And our job as leaders is to stir your faith because once your faith is stirred, people will engage the mission. And faith comes from hearing the word of God, not just the faithful, exposi faithful exposition of scripture, but also the prophetic word of God. We believe God is speaking to us uh, right into our situation here and now. He's speaking to us, never in a way that contradicts scripture, in a way that needs to be carefully weighed because we only see in part and hear in part but carefully weighing it and agreeing together and saying, this is what God is saying to us. He's speaking to us. And as we hear what God is saying, our faith grows. Faith is to be confident of an outcome. That's one of my favorite definitions of faith. You know, it's to be confident of an outcome. People say to me sometimes, oh, that's a shame that didn't happen. I really, I really have faith for that. And I think maybe, <laughs> maybe it was wishful thinking. I don't know. You know. Faith is to be confident 
that something is going to happen. This is going to happen. I've got faith for this. You know? To believe God will do something against all odds, against all logic, against all resources, like Gideon's army. How many of you got Gideon? No, that's too many. <laughs> Let's get rid of a few. See who takes the straight glass or the glass with the handle in the pub. Take the ones that take the, the, uh, the straight glass. We'll go there. You know, and reduces his army down to nothing. And Gideon said, well, hang on, these were all good fighting men. And God said, no, so you don't need all these because your confidence is not in your own efforts. Your confidence is in me. Joshua and Jericho. Right, let's walk around the building a few times and we'll overcome the army. It's against all logic. The feeding miracles, against all... What I love about the feeding miracles is, is as I said earlier, the outcome is not proportional to the input. We think, oh, well, in order to do, achieve that, we must have these resources. God is saying, no, take what you've got and commit it in faith and let's see what the outcome will be. Because the outcome is not dependent upon the inputs. The outcome is dependent upon the measure of our faith. Okay, so what have we got faith for together, friends? What have we got faith for? God is calling us to build the house of God here in Ipswich, but not just in our town, but also to have an influence and a reach across the nation. We'll come back to that. To the ends of the earth, he's calling us to restore his church, to be part of a generation that is changing the expression of Christianity through his church across the world today. What have you got faith for? Yeah, for growth, for bigger premises, for impact and influence in the community, for impact in other nations. What do we have faith for? Confident of an outcome, not just reckless dreaming. What is it that we are trusting God for in our generation? And Jesus uses this opportunity to warn the disciples here. He says, look, you know, be careful of not having any faith. This was the yeast of the Pharisees. Watch out for the Pharisees. These guys don't have any faith. It's disastrous. It's disastrous to be, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's disastrous. So let's help each other. When you can see one another just starting to falter, I think, oh, I, don't know, I don't know if I can trust God for this. Oh, come on, let's stir one another. Come on, let's trust God. He's a good God. He's got good things for us. You know, when you're tempted to feel a bit cynical about the leaders, oh, the leaders, you know, they, 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 they say all this stuff. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Well, be careful. Don't slip into cynicism. You know, it's cynicism and, and, and the bitter root that it, it, it brings about, there's very strong warnings in Scripture about that. I'm not suggesting that that's a problem among us at all, but it's just it's helpful to remind ourselves how we live, we're steeped in a cynical culture. We're steeped in a cynical culture. You go to work, you're just in a, you're bathing in cynicism. You, you know, you go onto social media, you're just scrubbing yourself with cynicism every day. And we have to learn to live in that world and say, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have faith like a child. All right, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be childish. I get a bit worried sometimes when people talk about, you know, come on, let's crawl into the lap of our daddy. I'm thinking, I don't do that with my own father. <laughs> it's not the way I relate to my father. It's not about being childish. It's about being like a child. And a child says, I trust you. Father, I trust you. You know, I, I'm going I'm to block all this, but I trust you. You're my faithful father. And so 
Let's not allow ourselves to be drawn into the cynicism, the faithlessness of the Pharisees. Let's not rely on our own effort. We want to work hard. Paul says, I'm pleased that I work harder than any of you, he says. It's not that we're afraid of hard work, but that's not what we're relying on. We're not thinking we can achieve this, we can obtain this, we can make this possible via our own efforts. That is not what we are putting our confidence in, because at the end of the day, it's ineffective. And this was the yeast of the Herodians. Political engagement, hard work, clever actions, they all have their place, but it is not the source of our effectiveness. Faith in a God who can feed thousands from a lunchbox is the source of our effectiveness. That's where our effectiveness is rooted. Yeah, God, you can do it. Right? And this is our first principle of multiplication. With faith as small as a mustard seed, anything is possible. God takes the small and the unlikely to achieve great purpose for his glory. Why? So that it is clear that it is the work of God and not man. Okay? Who are we? What are we? You know, modest-sized church in a modest-sized town in the corner of England. That's exactly the sort of situation that God's thinking, right, I'm going to show the world what I can do. Yeah? I can show the world what I can do. That's exciting. Yeah? People are going to say, how did they do that? You know? How did they raise £200,000 in a year? How did that happen? Well, we've got a great God. Yep. So that's the first principle of multiplication, is learning to live in the obedience of faith. The second is committing what we already have. That's what Jesus was demonstrating in both of those feeding miracles. He said, well, let's see what we've got. What have we got? Oh, we've just got a few loaves and a few fishes. Okay, well, let's commit that. Let's give it. Give it in. Let's see what happens. And... Whatever you're committing, whatever you have, mixed with faith, gets a remarkable outcome. <laughs> a remarkable outcome. Seven loaves in one miracle. Five loaves in another miracle. One loaf in the boat. Use your loaf. <laughs> you like that? that was good. See what I did there. <laughs> So what are our loaves and fishes? I just want to give a little bit of attention to what are our loaves and fishes as a church community here. Well, I would say, first of all, our prayers. This is, we think, well, what are we just sort of bringing our prayer? I think we've been on a, a wonderful journey. Our prayers have immense power to change the history of the world. Our prayers have immense power to affect and change the affairs of communities and nations. One of the most significant things, I believe, that has been happening in our journey over recent years is how we've been learning to pray. I love it. I absolutely love it. That, you know, when we gather to pray, you just see, as a church, we're learning to stand up. You know, one of the highlights of the SENT uh, conference over the last few days from people that I've spoken to, I was just there for one morning, but people there for the whole thing were saying, the prayer evening, the prayer evening was remarkable. Well, I think that's because God has been teaching us to pray. Through enough and through our prayer and vision evenings here, as a community, we're learning to pray. And we're bringing our prayers to God. Because our prayers are an acknowledgement that we are depending on God. That's what we said. We're saying, God, we're, you know, there's only so much we can do, but God, you can do all of this. And so we're coming to you and beseeching you and entreating you and say, come. Come and do what you only you can do among us. 
And these are part of our committing what we have, our loaves and fishes. Praying that Jesus could not be ignored in this town. This is a phrase that Tom used in January. So this is you know, one of our prayers. is that the, the, the body of Christ and the person of Christ cannot be ignored in this town. I think, I mean, as I say, it's not all about buildings, but I think that building is part of the answer for us. Because you can't ignore that building. Just about everybody that lives in Ipswich has to drive past it at some point. And it's not that, whoa, what a lovely building we've got. It's about, what does this represent? It represents the mission of Jesus in the town. Jesus cannot be ignored. What's going on here? They can try and edit us out on the sound bites on the BBC and so on and so forth. But no, you can't ignore it. Something's happening here. In the name of Jesus Christ, something is happening. You can't ignore it. Okay? Praying into the prophetic promises that God has spoken over us as a church family. So that's, that's one of our loaves and fishes. The second one is our DNA. I'm going to smash this very quickly because this is absolutely important but deserves a whole message in its own right. But I just want to put a marker down for you because we're going to revisit this from time to time. As a family of churches in relational mission, as part of a wider, wider association uh, that we call New Frontiers, we, each of us, every church is committed to a set of simple core values. And this is our DNA. This is what we're building and whenever we multiply, this is the DNA that we're seeking to multiply. Okay? And so I've only got a very short, short time to cover this. I'm hoping I'll have another opportunity to unpack this. But it's so important. Our core doctrinal values. We are word-based. We're the, the word of God is our final authority in matters of faith. We are here to preach fearlessly and courageously the word of God. We are spirit-empowered. We want people to encounter the presence of God. They want him to come into his presence and say, whoa, I am now encountering the God of love and mercy and grace and justice and power. I've met him. When you've met someone, you can't unmeet them. All right? <laughs> Grace-filled, so important, simple statements. The grace of God is our atmosphere. The grace of God is, we depend on the grace of God. We depend entirely for our salvation on the perfect obedience of Christ. And grace will flavour everything we do. It will flavour our families and marriages. It will flavour the way we lead the church. It will flavour the atmosphere in the church. It's so much to unpack there. It's a core value. In terms of leadership, uh, we believe in team leadership. We believe that leadership is plural. It's not just sort of one sort of uh, super pastor and his minions. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's a co-equal eldership with one that we recognize who can lead that team and the team leads the church. The core of leadership is a servant heart. We're not, leaders are not here to lord it over people or boss it over people or be celebrities or be untouchable. Don't touch the anointed one. No, when the disciples, when the apostles saw people treating them in that way, they were tearing their clothes and throwing the dust up in the air and saying, no, we're just ordinary men like you. Don't treat us like that, okay? Let's just, I, I think this is as, as much a challenge for some people from other cultures where maybe authority and leadership has been presented in a different way. I want to speak uh, uh, respectfully and tenderly. You know, we're looking for servant-hearted leadership. We're not looking for people climbing the greasy pole to be the top dog. We're looking for men and women who are going to lay their lives down, pour their hearts out for the good of those that they're here to serve. 
That's one of our core values. Ephesians 4 ministries, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles for today's church. So important to us in terms of our values. Our core mission values. Mission is from the local church. Mission in, is sent from the local church. It's not somehow divorced from the local church. And the fruits of mission are gathered into the local church. And it's a global, a, a local mission. It's a global mission. It's a holistic mission. It affects every arena of society. And it's culturally contextualized. We're not just trying to export our <coughs> empire. We're saying we're taking these values to every culture and saying, how does this work in your culture? These values are from the New Testament. They're not, our, they're not UK values. They're not British colonial values. They are the values of Scripture. How can we help you contextualize and apply them in your culture? We don't want a cut and paste of a Hope Church in, in, in Serbia or Germany or China. We want the people of those nations to say, this is how it works for us. So that's a very, very important thing. So anyway, finally in terms of what we have to offer, what we can, what are our loaves and fishes? Our loaves and fishes are you. We are our loaves and fishes. Jesus says in Luke 12, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yeah, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. We may not feel great, but... God has spoken over us. I'm running out of time here, so I've got to say this very quickly. Are you ready? Some of the things God has spoken over us. A ship laden with mercy and hope for the community. A large barn full of provision for the community. Having an impact here and beyond. An aircraft carrier, hundreds on, on deck, but people readied for the nations. A divine blowing on Hope Church for pioneering and for sending out. A congregation of people that will go into the nations, stirring up and training and releasing. A feeding church and ascending church with the rippling and disruption that this brings, anointing particularly among the homeless, giving to other communities, a storehouse of men and women to send and release awesome people. These are our loaves and fishes. We have an inheritance of counties and continents. There's so much there. This is what God is speaking to us about. And you are the loaves and fishes that we're sending out. That we're saying to God, will you multiply us? Multiply us beyond our local impact. Multiply meetings, sites, churches, sending many people, short-term and long-term. We want to be, we as uh, Tom and I often agree with each other, we want our cake and eat it. We want to be a large church and we want to send many, okay? Some people tend to make a choice. Oh, we can't really send any because we're trying to build our big church here. Or some people, they send everybody and their church sort of spirals down. We say, no, we want, uh, we're, we're greedy, okay? We're greedy. We want to have a massive impact on this town. And we want to send many, 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 many to many towns and to many nations, to many counties and to many continents. So here's just a prophetic picture from Nick Oldfield, just as I close here. He said, I had a picture last night of a dam. If there's a lot of rain or flooding upstream, dam water flow needs to be managed through the dam or else it will burst and cause disruption. I had a picture of this happening and water exploding from cracks in the dam and overspilling around its sides. But this is not what should happen. I then saw the dam water being managed, the gates being opened and the flood water flow being managed in a controlled and productive way. And God wants us to manage new talent Existing talent, potential church planters, church planting situations very carefully. What I mean by this is that there are people already in the church and who are starting to come who would jump at opportunities to explore church planting. 
but need encouragement to do so. Okay? They need encouragement, like the channeling of the flow. If we don't, these people will seep out in all different ways. Okay? We have stated the vision, multiplication. Now we need to manage the flow. It's just such a helpful word. I just want to pray for us. And then I want to invite anybody who feels stirred by what I've just read from Nick's picture about the fact that there are going to be those among us here that God is preparing to send out. Okay, there are those who are called to stay, and we honor that equally. We need to build something beautiful here. But there will be those that God is, you know you're here in a season of preparation to go, and we want to pray for you particularly, and we want to know who you are so that we can serve and help you. But let's just, uh, for a moment, let's just, I just want to pray for all of us, okay? Lord God, we do want to be people of faith. We want to please you, God. Without faith, it's impossible to please you. We want to learn and grow what it means to be men and women of faith. And we just bring our own lives to you, Lord. Forgive us if we've allowed the cynicism of our day to seep in. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like the Pharisees. We don't want the yeast of the Pharisees to work among us. Forgive us if we've been like the Herodians, relying on our own efforts. We don't want to... We want to work hard for you, Lord, but we don't want to trust in our own righteousness or in our own efforts. We just want to put our confidence in you. We want to come to you with great faith and bring what we have. I just want you now, just a moment, just to pause and think about your own challenges of life. We all face different challenges. I've got different challenges. You've got different challenges. Just think about some of those things. It might be a relationship under pressure. It might be financial pressure might be a difficult situation at work. It could be any number of things. You know, it could be uh, wrestling with some uh, mental health issues or some, some sickness. It could be any number of things. Just, think, just bring to mind. I'm not really wanting just to remind us of the downside, but let's just be real. We're facing challenges. Some of them are known. Some of them are, are hidden. saying, Holy Spirit, come and embolden our hearts. Forgive us, Lord, if we try to figure these things out with self-effort. We want to put our trust in you. Just bring that challenge that you've just been reflecting on. Just bring it and almost like try and visualize yourself bringing it and laying it at the foot of the cross. Saying, Jesus, I'm going to bring this to you. I can't, I can't carry this load. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted having to carry this load. I just want to leave it with you, Jesus. Give me the faith. Spare me, Jesus. I don't want to become cynical. I don't want to rely on my own efforts. I will look to you, Jesus. I'm looking to you, trusting you, Jesus. You will, you will help me find a way through this. Jesus, take this burden from me. And secondly, I just want to, I want to pray for those that you know one day you will go 
Okay, it's a bit of an elder's nightmare uh, throwing out this sort of invitation. We're about a great work here. We're about a great work here. God's doing great things among us here in Ipswich. And we need soldiers. We need men and women to step up. But we know also that God has called us to multiply. And that there will be those that we, with uh, mixed feelings, with a mixture of excitement and sadness, will be laying hands on them in the months and years to come. And we'll be sending them away to go and multiply our DNA and to, to see the work of God like this worked out in another context, appropriate to that context. We want to see that. We want to fill the earth with the glory of God. We want to fill the earth. We want to make disciples to the ends of the earth. We want to do that. So I just want to, as we just uh, worship in a moment, I'm just going to give two invitations. One, if you know you're going to go, well, come to the front here in a moment. I want to lay hands on you and bless you and honor the call of God in your life, pray for you. Maybe other elders can help me with that as well. If you felt really stirred by what I prayed earlier, just personal burdens, challenges, needing the help of God, well then, to my right and your left, there'll be a ministry team gathering in, in our prayer ministry corner. We'd love to just gather around and pray with you. Pray that you would grow in faith for the challenges that you are facing. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.